0: Welcome to School of Movies. Spectre.
1: You had no authority. None. Mexico City.
2: What were you doing there?
0: I was taking some overdue holiday.
3: So what's going on, James? They say you're finished.
2: Well, what do you think?
3: I think you're just getting started.
2: Magnificent, isn't she? Zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds. A few little tricks up his sleeve. Do one more thing for me. What do you have in mind?
0: Make me disappear.
2: Tell me where he is. He's everywhere. You should go there. You're crossing over to a place where there is no mercy. You're protecting someone.
3: Get away from me! Why should I trust you?
1: Because right now, I'm your best chance
2: of staying alive. This organization, do you know what it's called?
3: It's name is Spectre. Do you know who links them all? Me. Welcome,
2: James. You came across me so many times, yet you never saw me. What took you so long?
0: Welcome back to our James Bond shows. And this week, Gary Blower of the Game Burst podcast returns to chat about the 24th Bond film, Spectre. And if you want to hear what James and Alex think, their podcast will, I'm certain, be available pretty soon. They were very excited to see it, so that's Bond and Beyond go subscribe now. So let's look at uh, the absolute best elements of this film. What struck you while you were watching? Sharon, if you want to specifically talk here as well, because um, I think when we came out, you were a lot harder on this than I was.
3: Mm, This is true. It started very strong for me, I have to say. The opening sequence um, began very well.
1: That was straight out of Hitchcock. Mm. Great big seven-minute single take. That's... Straight out of his book, uh, that was um, spectacular. Mm, mm. Um, Great. I, well, yeah, I think that was. I think everyone who's seen who's seen it um, and the stuff I've read online, that seems to be the most memorable thing about the film. Which mm. is kind of, in some ways, kind of worrying, but yeah. um, also highlights the fact that that was a, just a brilliant. Uh, brilliant opening sequence in fact one of the Bond podcasts I listen to they've dedicated an entire podcast just to that
0: sequence wow Wow. not being able to study it frame by frame on
2: blu-ray as well
3: Uh, the sense of urgency about it I thought and and with it being that one big um, single shot uh, it really felt as though they were going for a a strong sense of immediacy and and sort of action from the very set off Mm. which obviously the traditional opening Bond sequence makes perfect sense um, but um, but I was very impressed with
0: that. Uh, also, I was kind of uh, surprised when the helicopter started veering out of control towards the people. Bond doesn't usually get involved in stuff that have a, has a lot of innocent bystanders, does he? Nice. It's, it tends to be a couple of people, and uh, like if he you know, he'll run through people uh, on you know that aren't directly in danger. But very rarely will there be something that could actually cause a, a, a terrible terrible accident. That doesn't seem to be his province.
1: No, I guess because the main character is always indestructible. Yeah. Uh, it's a way of bringing tension to the, yeah. to the scene by putting other people in jeopardy. I actually thought that there was a possibility while I was watching it. Could it could it be that Bond falls out of the
0: helicopter and survives, but it crashes and kills a lot of people, and that's an international incident, and he's to blame? And I, I started to get really, like, oh, God. Like, so that was extremely well done. Mm. I think
3: that, again, something that's been alluded to before, that he's um, ended up accidentally um, causing near-international incidents, but he's supposed to be older now and have learned his lesson on those counts. And, mm. and So I suppose it, it would have implied, if that was going to happen, or if you've got the fear of that happening again, that you are concerned that he's maybe not quite got a grip on what's going on.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I enjoyed the whole subplot around... Uh, Mr. White and mm, mm. Um, I thought actually the way that in which he, his daughter is kind of um, stitched into the story I thought was quite was quite clever and uh, where they go with that is a different question but yeah. um, I just like the I just like the fact that they used him really to tie together all the other Crayfields. I think one of the things we've moaned about before is that particularly Skyfall there was a hope that that would kind of close off the the, the three act story of quantum but it yeah. didn't did it it kind of if, did a, it was like a side story if anything if anything
0: um uh quantum and casino royale are, are, a, are an unusual example of a bond pair yeah uh, and now with the the ties back to m and and uh, they, they reference silver enough and and the whole you know the plight of mi6 this feels like a two-parter with skyfall yeah which obviously and again, you un- very unusually, is going to have a knock-on effect into the third film. And there are there are three options with the third film, but we'll we'll come to that in, uh, later yeah. at the end. But uh, but they've they've kind of got to reference this one. They can't just have Bond back on, <laughs> back to doing his thing.
3: Mm. No, That's going to put them in a difficult situation if this does turn out to be Craig's last one, though. Indeed. Are they going to etch a sketch or are they going to make reference to them being the same person?
0: Can we, can we talk about that one at the end? Because yeah. that's exactly what I've, I've got thematically to discuss there. Go, go, go back to the things that were best about the film.
1: Um, well, like I said, I think that aspect. Uh, I, I liked her. I liked the, the uh, character of Dr. Swan. Um, although I think towards the end she's kind of uh, turned into a bit of a sideshow. I, I, I certainly liked what they did with her uh, up until... That sort of uh, endpoint. Um, I always felt um, one of the things I thought about uh, Christoph Waltz's, although he's he's used very sparingly, mm-hmm. I did think uh, up until the point he got the comedy scar, he was he felt incredibly threatening, which you can't always say for for some of the villains we've had. I mean, Silver was very good. Yeah. Um, But some of the other Bond villains, I'm going to think back to Dominic Green in Quantum of Solace. He never really felt (laughs) scary. (laughs) Except for the bit where he went mental with the fire axe, but uh, every other bit. That was was more like a lunacy rather than just incredibly intimidating. And I thought his performance, particularly um, in the scene, you know, the kind of the classic um, long table scene and the, the first scene where he... He greets Bond at his secret lair. Mm. I thought his his screen presence was was incredible, mm. and I, I kind of feel they kind of dropped the ball a bit a bit a after bit,
3: that. Bit. Oh, that applies to so many things in this yeah. film. Um, but uh, no, I I agree. I mean Christoph Waltz. I was really looking forward to seeing how he pulled off the traditional Bond villain, and I think his. Gift in playing threatening characters is that he has this immense sense of control. Mm. Um, I mean, as you say, the, the the issue with Dominic Green was he never really did anything particularly scary, and then at the end, he just went completely off the deep end. Yeah. Um, whereas with uh, Blofeld, he, he is very restrained, and well, for the first Two thirds. Two Third, yeah. th- thirds that he's in. Um, but um, yeah, there's there's always this sense that, that he does have this master plan, that he knows what he's doing. And he never comes across as particularly violent in and of himself. Mm. But you get that very strong feeling that he is holding so many strings that all he's got to do is tweak one of them and somewhere your dog gets shot or something, you know, he can do th- very threatening things without really having to move much.
2: Yeah,
0: differently. <laughs> I want to uh, add extra props for Jesper Christensen the uh, guy who plays Mr. White because uh, it's a, effectively a thankless task basically turning up as the sort of sneering sub-villain the middle manager
2: Yeah.
0: but um, I, I felt for him in this, this his final scenes and there was actually a moment where we had a buffoon in our audience uh, when he, you're a kite dancing in a hurricane
1: Yeah.
0: goodbye and then he shoots himself, this guy just went and I just Had to shout in the dark and went, "A fucking fuck!" (laughs) Just with my mouth. Seriously, sir, you are emotionally stunted. If you thought that was funny, yeah. Yeah. It
3: wasn't the only time he did that. i bet.
0: yeah. No, there was a. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think he went, "Go on, my son." At some really like, I think it was like Bond was it, it was, was rapiest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe actually, I think he was like when Bond was making a sleazy comment or something. He was like, "Yes, that's the Bond
1: I want." Mm. A total knob end. Anyway, bit
3: of a worry. I was um, say the, the
1: other sort of overall thing that I was really really pleased about, as a kind of fan of the entire series really Mm -hmm. was the fact that we didn't have navel gazing um introspective bond um and it kind of told you we were going to get that right from the start because it actually opened with the with the stroll on yeah um and the gun barrel sequence which kind of said right okay this this is a Bond film. This is Okay, not.
0: you're going to need to lay down what? Navel-gazing, introspective Bond. What's a perfect example of that? that well, drove Sky,
1: Skyfall, <laughs> staring at his glass or playing with scorpions. Um, gotcha. You know, Because effectively he did that in Casino Royale. He did it a little bit in Quantum of Solace. Um, when, um, um, was it, um, Matthias? Mat- Mathis. Mathis got killed. You know Mathis dies, yeah. He certainly did it a lot in Skyfall when he was... You know, depressed and, and wow, I'd those see. are some of my favourite Bond bits. I know, but they're not. <laughs> Sorry, Gary. But they're not. They're not. They're they're good because they're novel. I agree. But you, you can only play that card so many times. You know, like you know, they did it in The Majesty Secret Service, and they've they've done it on odd occasions throughout the series. And when it's mm. when it's done well, it's poignant. But we've had three films that have kind of done <laughs> dealt with that, and we needed something that kind of went back and said, let's just you know, let's just make a a, a good action packed. Bond movie and we'll try to make it half sensible at the same time.
0: Sharon, you said that this had what Quantum of Solace lacked and vice versa. So could you explain that one?
3: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think I was mainly um, sort of looking at it in terms of the the characters um, in that Blofeld, well, Christoph Waltz specifically, was the villain that Quantum of Solace utterly failed to materialise.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, And in terms of... Uh, Camille and um, Madeleine, I think I, I found Camille to be a much stronger character. Um, while I did, I, I kind of liked Madeleine. I, I thought the um, the actress, Lea Sadu? Sadu, yeah. yeah. Um, she was very appealing. She performed the character very well, but I did find the way the character was written to be quite thin. Hmm. And it, it was almost like they were—they really wanted to, to make something of her because obviously she was going to turn out to be quite significant. But I think they muffed that a bit because. You, I think it was it was in the the setup of who she is they have a conversation about the fact that she is very capable and she knows how to use a gun and she can take care of herself she then proceeds to not show any of that for the entire film i think she fires the gun four times one of them actually have a bullet dispatches
0: in it. the guy yeah. and
3: then and both times when she it looks like she's going to be doing something sort of in her own defense she gets knocked out within 5 seconds and and
1: don't forget kidnapped.
3: we off and kidnapped again <laughs>
1: She's basically pretty strong and, and feisty up until the point where Bond basically beds her, and then from that point yeah. on, she just turns into she just turns into window <laughs> <That> dressing. <sounds laughs>
3: Absolutely, yeah. All
1: her power was in her
0: virginity. <laughs> so
3: it would appear, but um, um, but they continue to her that hotel... purity by dressing her in white throughout the entire film. Her um... drunken
0: hotel scene in particular, I like. Yes, because I you've agree. got to see more real her in that. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, in fact, what, what was it I said? She she uh, gets very drunk and passes out, fully clothed then wakes up later on, somehow in white frilly slip. I'm not entirely certain how that happened, whether James changed her in the well, night or she actually woke up and changed tra- tra- her clothes. But... They,
1: they both have this magical travelling wardrobe anyway. <laughs> they do, <so>. yeah. <laughs> Wonderful stuff
3: just appears the These from suits
1: from GQ that magically appear from nowhere, yeah. Absolutely. I did like how uh, when Bond
0: woke up and the rat was there, who sent you? Mm, it's a sort of moment.
3: Yeah, but um, but I think the the um, I mean Camille as the the comparative Bond girl I would say is much more appealing to me, and I would have preferred to see somebody like that in this role, considering what the other strengths of the film were around it, and the fact that Quantum completely lacked them. Um, but also I think what I was very frustrated about was the fact that they had Monica Bellucci. She was right there and she's (laughs) on screen for about three minutes. And I really liked her character and I really liked the route they were going with it. And when there was all, all the marketing material about her being in it, I kind of had in my mind that she was going to turn out to be this big, Overarching villainess, and that would have been awesome, and then it didn't.
0: Blofeldette. Happen. Yes, so I was. Well, oh, that's terrible! That's sexist. <laughs> she could, she could have been Blofeld, though. Wouldn't
1: that have been awesome? That though? would
3: have been very interesting.
1: At one but, point, uh, I did yeah. think if, you I, fucked I, Blofeld. I thought they were going to throw that one in there, you know, the right at the very end. I thought they were going to throw that in there—that was actually her all along. And I thought, that like, please, would have been please. an awesome twisty. Oh, ending. I'm not so sure because that would have kind of been like, um, <laughs> "World is not enough." There is, oh True. yeah,
2: True. but no, I really yeah. like
1: the way Electric King turns out. I, d- that, I but agree, but I
0: didn't want yeah. him to do it again. And it was, it, it was great to see MI6 taking part again, albeit in a diminished capacity. The elegance and the epic is still there. The Roger Deakins had gone on to other films.
1: But, um, the cinematographer, let me just, uh, double check that one, unless you guys know. I don't think it was as sumptuous to look at. Hoyt van Hoytma. As Deakins, but then nobody, nobody can do
0: Roger Deakins. Oh, uh, this uh, chap has done Interstellar, Her, and Let the White One In. Um... But yeah, the, the, specifically the breathtaking sequence for me was uh, when he uh, goes to the funeral and then um, uh, meets Monica Bellucci. There, just the, i mean, I am a sucker for beautiful, symmetrical yeah. um, shots, with uh, especially if they've got the shiny cars in them <laughs> and kind of a, a, a uh, you know a, a color. Uh, a continuity of color where it's like you are selling something warm or selling something cold but really just sort of setting something up as, as like a, a giant beautiful map painting but but entirely you know with with depth that cinematography can bring I love that and this this had it uh, in, in spades so that I loved and, and, and like I say Sam Mendes um, I, I have not seen a Duff Sam Mendes film actually No.
1: He's a he's a no, he's a really good filmmaker.
0: Yeah, think. we uh, we uh, went and saw Road to Perdition uh, the other day because I I'd seen it originally and was not massively impressed. Sharon, had you seen it before?
3: I hadn't. No, that was the first time I'd oh.
0: seen it. Well, reappraising it, I was massively impressed. So, uh, yeah, it's maybe a certain appreciation of Mendes' style comes with age. I, I don't know. Any kids who listen to us, let us know if you like Sam Mendes. And the title sequence. I had been avoiding listening to the Sam Smith song. I know there's loads of people who hate it, but I I, I really like this one
1: in context. I and gonna... totally agree. I was funny okay. enough. I was gonna, I was thinking about it today. I was going to mention that because I I did hear the song before the film. I thought it was mm. awful. I mean, really, yeah. really bad. But seen in context of the film with those titles and just after the opening scene, it yeah. makes total sense. Yeah, uh, I still don't like the song. <laughs> Outside of that context,
2: but it works. <laughs> Every time you <laughs> watch it, you're like, oh, Cin- "This is fine."
1: Cinematically, it definitely yeah. works. It's got the mm, right okay. tone for that response from that opening uh, segment. Yeah. Okay.
3: The one thing that um, that really piqued my interest about the opening sequence actually was the because um, he's had um, in earlier Craig sequences that whole thing with the bullets with the blood trails and it's it looks like it's underwater and it's all paint that's streaming off it and this time they did it with the ink. Having the the ink trails through everything and then have the kind of thrust of the story be the idea that it's the bureaucrats and the pen pushers are taking over and want to get rid of the, the men out in the field because they can do everything from a computer and it just, it all seemed to tie it together quite nicely.
0: Yeah. And uh, also, I've got to add, uh, you know, to the the Baluchi scene, the sequence where uh, she walks through her house and then out to the fountain, and you just mm. see very blurrily the uh, the assassins who are there, and she's very aware of them, but she's just she's such a powerful actress when she's being directed right, and uh, that just the elegance of Bond dispatching them and then approaching her, and just the you know i i complain about bond being sleazy time and again but that scene was so fucking sexy at least for me yeah uh, the the, the scene up against the marriage yeah the, <laughs> the rapy scene not
1: so good but yeah that that one was definitely uh <laughs> was definitely uh, he did that um actually in in uh, um skyfall if you remember when Bond is is introduced mm. uh, he did exactly the same trick where it pans through the building and it it's very effective this felt like it was designed to be a crowd pleaser. Yeah. That uh, um,
0: the uh, Casino Royale ended very somber, but with this kind of, did it, he's James Bond, way. And then Quantum of Solace ended very somber, but with this, he's James Bond, way. And Skyfall ended very somber, but with this, did it, James Bond, way. It felt like with this one, it was like, and it ends fun! Yay! He's not James Bond, bye! He's like, what? Well no, he's still James Bond, but he's not James Bond of MI6. What? The best way I can sum up my more negative feelings on leaving the cinema was that the overall story, when laid out, was a backslide from the original remit laid down by Casino Royale. I felt that after Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery came out in 1997, the same, just mere months before um, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, you simply couldn't do Bond like Roger Moore and please the crowds anymore. And this year we've seen it done twice in Kingsmen and now Spectre. Both of them seem to be saying, remember when Bond was fun and it wasn't all moody and tense like the Bourne movies? But of course, they adopted that original tone with Casino Royale, because Die Another Day showed us what lies at the end of that Roger Moore tunnel, a total disposable story in which Bond ticks boxes to please fans. It's what I said back in the Skyfall episode, that, no- that nostalgia, for me at least, is best handled in Q's little pen quip, rather than full-on evoking and reenacting the hollowed-out volcano routine lampooned so easily in The Spy Who Shagged Me.
1: I must admit, I did. I did. Uh, I'm not a fan of the Austin Powers films, but I, I did. <laughs> I do get what you're saying, and I certainly thought that when you know, basically Blofeld had a secret lair in a, <laughs> a meteor crater in the middle of the desert. You know, at that point, he I did. thought, really, <laughs> we're going here, are we? But they didn't seem to make much of it, other than, you know, showing him as being, like I said earlier, an information broker, which is kind <laughs> of okay. You know, that's one way to play it, but and then they kind of just blew it to bits so it it was almost disposable and again I kind of feel that they were almost doing a little bit of parody themselves they were saying here look here's the here's the secret lair that you've all been expecting and uh, here it is it's all blown up (laughs) (laughs) and we'll definitely do something with
0: Blofeld later now now that we've got this done we'll do something with Blofeld later
1: yeah Yeah. I I think as much as the I feel the film was like one act too long Mm mm-hmm but the final act was obviously the The final the, was was the ending they wanted, and they yeah, kind of yeah. g- gave us that blowing up of the base as a kind of false false ending, really. Uh, and They're like
0: massaging yeah. the, uh, the an itch. I suspect that if they actually hadn't had that blow felt sequence, or if they would orchestrated it yeah. so that after um, the uh, L'Américain sequence. They had somehow managed to segue to the, uh, the the chasing building thing, but extended the chasing building thing to actually incorporate the Blofeld meeting scene in that, and made that whole thing an incredibly tense 10-minute 10 back and forth. Mm-hmm. Behind with the glass in between, so the Bond didn't have to be tied to a chair. Yep. Um, then uh, it, that could have been in, like a really good tight two-hour Bond film. Yep. Uh, but it's as it stands. It feels half an hour too long, whereas Quantum of Solace is half an hour too short, or uh, at least 15 to 20 minutes too short.
3: Although with Quantum of Solace, it's not so much that they didn't have enough material, it was that they played it all too fast.
0: Yeah, like, you know, watching the car chase in this, I was thinking, you know what car chase I really kind of like? the one at the beginning of quantum of solace that and my good. brain's going yeah my brain was going no you're insane why could you like that it's like bang 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 but that's how a car chase no. can sometimes that's be true. edited really well to make it like oh god that's so startling i agree
1: with you I've, I've actually found that was one of the low points for me was the car chase i thought it was yeah it, it was languid. it was ponderous and yeah languid and the only thing that made it fun was the fact that you know his none of his gadgets worked which was again a little dig at you know the, the Q joke from the last film, kind of yeah. writ large, and the fact that they were like ugly switches stuck to the dashboard of a supercar. You know, was, that in itself was yeah, quite. Ugly. Oh, Just... I remember why um, when that guy shouted
0: it and went. Gwawr! It's when Q went to the garage and the car was gone, and then the champagne was left in a classic. Basically, it's a classy move, yeah. and this guy made it less classy by shouting. <laughs> yeah,
1: kind of rude that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: But I mean, you could ruin pretty much any moment by going.
1: Wawr! Yeah, I didn't Um, didn't think that worked. I actually didn't think the plane chase worked particularly well either. Ish, yeah, no. Um, Well, somebody pointed out that uh,
0: uh, in one of the bad reviews that Bond basically produces a plane out of nowhere um, with no sign of an airstrip. Like, he might as well just fly
1: that's for suspending disbelief. You could like see that. it. It's at the very start of that scene. Oh, yeah, you know when oh, they right when the aerial shots of the um the kind of the, the base on the top of the mountain. Yeah. There's a very short runway next to it with a plane perched at oh, the end of it. Gotcha. It did
0: it did feel like he should probably be in a car, but they were like we've already had a car chase. Yeah.
2: Lane?
3: Yeah. I think the the worst <laughs> thing about the car chase for me was that I I knew how much money they'd spent on it and I was looking oh, at yeah. it going
0: this wasn't worth it, guys. It, it was $300 million for this movie and a lot of, uh, like not a lot of the budget, but a chunk of the budget was because they kept crashing these beautiful Aston Martins and wrecking
1: them. And it's like, just bring another Aston Martin. They got a six-pack. <laughs> 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 oh, God. Just think of But I of imagine them. they got a fair tidy sum for featuring those two cars in it. Oh, I would yeah. think so, yeah. yeah. I kept trying to see what the My second car was. I couldn't quite there, make yeah. it out. I wasn't sure if it was a, a Lamborghini or not, but um, every time you could just about see the logo they kind of cut away so obviously they didn't pay enough
0: they weren't they didn't want to show Dave Batista into, into that beautiful slender car because it looked like it was in a clown car yes. <laughs>
1: massive guy
0: also props to Dave Batista from going from this you know like really lovable, threatening but lovable character Drax in uh, Guardians to being not at all lovable, entirely threatening, like utterly
3: oh, th- terrifying, yeah
0: crushing your head type guy and like, m- maybe one of the best Bond henchmen ever.
1: It I agree, I thought he was pretty
3: good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the funny thing was though, it was a tiny little thing that really clicked him for me, it was the silver thumbnails. As soon as Ooh, I saw yeah. those, I was like, oh my god, this is That's gonna be thing. not pretty...
0: For me, it was the fact that he, with some disdain, took his handkerchief out to mop the blood off his yeah. hands. It was like, oh, well, he's massive and he does terrible things, but he also has a little bit of
2: Fastidious class and, him, and they also
0: but, leave yeah. it open as to his fate as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I would like to see him come back, because I think he's tough enough to survive being knocked off a train. Yeah. They, you know, if, if, if feckin' Jaws can fall
1: into a, a circus tent from a plane and survive... Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you can see that, you know, being like a almost like oh god I've just got another
0: Moonraker uh, reference suddenly extremely conveniently placed safety net (laughs) yes yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, well
3: done although they did as I said take the trouble to set it up beforehand yeah
0: yeah yeah they never showed the circus at the beginning in Moonraker no (laughs) right okay now so anything more on the good stuff before we get the the more divisive stuff because I've got this is I've got the essay here I'm going to read bits of
3: I do think, and this is a little bit backhanded, but the, oh. the, the evoking slightly of Diana the Day actually had a positive effect for me, because it did make Madeline seem less at
0: least she's not wet, because
3: at least she wasn't Miranda <laughs> Frost.
0: Or Miranda. Yeah, indeed, Miranda Frost, she kind of reminded me a bit of her.
3: Yeah, because in, oh. in look and in her manner of dress, they weren't miles apart.
1: No, um, you're right. Yeah.
3: But uh, she was awful.
0: Oh god, just thinking about dying another day. Ooh. Okay,
1: uh, Gary, any more before we go? Dog? I, I, I guess I'll probably mention it again at the end, but I, I did enjoy it. I mean, that's the at the end of yeah, the day, that's the key thing. That, for us to
0: come back yeah, from this, we'll there is a sort of anything we haven't mentioned that's good at the end.
1: In in the round, taking the whole, using whatever cliche you want. I I I thought it was a decent decent bomb hmm. movie but yeah i think i'm sure you're going to mention them but there were deep flaws for me but i think basically this this
0: essay i've got here kind of outlines everything that kind of bugged me there's, and more there's very
1: few bomb movies that don't if you kind of look at them <laughs> in any kind of detail but yeah
0: yeah okay so here we go This is one of the most divisive Bond movies that I've seen in ages in terms of reviews. And I I didn't really look at the reviews until today. I was like, right, I want to be able to get my head around this, get strong what I feel, and then just sort of like, if there's anybody who could come along and sort of like make that plainer, then um, I I might be able to use that and and, and cite them. But uh, uh, some loved this film. Best Bond ever, say The Daily Express. Some hated it. After a truly spectacular intro, everyone might as well be enacting a Bond puppet show, which sometimes descends into the unpleasantly retro ickiness. That was a flick philosopher. One of the most recurring complaints is a feeling I got during the car chase that suddenly set in with a vengeance when they got to the Spectre base. And this clearly affected other people a lot more potently than me, uh, enough to utterly ruin the film, or indeed the franchise for them. What I've got here, some particularly acidic snippets from the HitFix review, uh, which I don't match in veracity by any means, but I can completely see the argument of. It's also rather fun to read, though the writer Drew McQueenie gets very angry. Okay. So here's Drew McQueenie's article, or bits of it. Here's one of the things that bothers me this time around. The last film saw Bond finally accept his place in the world and become the James Bond that we've been waiting for him to become since Casino Royale. If we accept that movie as the first real, hard reboot of the entire series, then the story they've been telling has been about James Bond becoming James Bond. And he finally did it. He became that person with Moneypenny and Q and a new M in place as his support team. And now he once again pretty much walks away and does everything by himself. They make a few cursory gestures at including the team, but while Fines, Wishaw, and Harris are all good, in their scenes, they're criminally underutilized. It's no Moonraker or View to a Kill, so for that reason alone, some Bond fans will shrug off all criticism. That's fine, except with Casino Royale, the producers made a huge mistake. They made it too well. They have tried, with this Daniel Craig run of films, to elevate the Bond movies that... So they are more than just acceptably silly spy movies. And one of the reasons Spectre is so frustrating is because it feels like the collapse of that ambition. And it is in one moment that you can see the entire thing burn to the ground. So let's talk about that moment. Um, Yes, this is a spoiler. Yes, this is the spoiler. But in this context, we're talking about a different kind of spoiling. When Bond and this season's... When Bond and this season's fleshlight (laughs) arrive at Spectre's surprisingly easy to find sort of homage to the volcano lair in the middle of nowhere. Oberhauser picks them up at the train station and then just drives them right into the base. Everyone is so set on their part that Bond practically hops up on the torture table himself. I said this to Sharon. Yes, yes, I know the drill. First, though, there's some monologuing and a big reveal that should come as a surprise to absolutely no one. Yes, yes. Oberhauser is indeed Ernst Aro Blofeld, but he, just like in Star Trek Into Darkness, all of the name games seem pointless. Blofeld has no value as a name to any character in the film. It's just a pseudonym that Oberhauser started using after he faked his own death when he murdered his father. And why did he murder his father? Here's where I had to grit my teeth to even type something so stupid. The reason that Oberhauser became a criminal mastermind in charge of an international organization that is involved in human trafficking, drugs, terrorism, and a myriad of other destructive crimes is because when James Bond's parents died, Bond was sent to live with the Oberhausers and Papa Oberhauser decided he liked James Bond better than he liked his real son Franz. Knowing that our father loved you more than he loved me. That's what this bit reminded me
1: of. It is a bit. You ruined my life.
0: Yes, it's true. Blofeld is Blofeld because his daddy liked James Bond more than him. And a lot of lads know that their daddy likes James Bond more than them. <laughs> that's me, not him. And it makes me want to never watch a fucking James Bond movie again! That is such a stupid, pathetic, ignorant choice for a creative team to make, and it demonstrates a complete misunderstanding of anything that's ever been part of James Bond, either in print or on film, that I genuinely struggle to understand how anyone could ever justify it. Let's set aside the truly insultingly stupid idea that the main villain in the James Bond universe just became a weepy fop with daddy issues. How about the way this choice means that James Bond is no longer a spy tackling individual cases over the course of his career, but is now a licensed sociopath who has unwittingly been the focus of a dedicated campaign of horror on a global scale, resulting in hundreds of collateral civilian and intelligence deaths, all because he had no idea someone was targeting him. Even worse, the movie suggests that Bond only coincidentally stumbled over Spectre's plans. So now we're asked to believe that Bond is the centre of the universe, but that he accidentally kept foiling the plans of the supervillain dedicated to ruining his life in order to make up for the time Daddy enjoyed mountain climbing with James Moore. The more I think about it, the more I write about it, the more it infuriates me. And then, following the reveal, Mendes and company stage two sequences that are so devoid of tension that you might as well be watching Mr. Rogers' Neighbourhood. Once he's revealed as Blofeld, uh, we know he won't die in the movie, and we also know Bond wa- is going to hit the magic re- reset button and make everything right, and now finally, after four movies, Bond is fully James Bond, ready to get to work, stopping villains and foiling terrorists and, wait, what? He quits again? At the end of the film so he can bump uglies with Sado? Really? Really? Even now, even four movies into the series, you can't finally let him become James Bond? This has become a joke! This one film has finally stretched the premise so thin that it snapped, and I find myself genuinely, genuinely fed up. Why bother? Will Bond 25 finally be the James Bond film where they let James Bond be to what? James Bond? Or will it have to tell a gritty personal tale of James Bond turning his back on the system so he can face a great personal crisis that will add up to absolutely goddamn nothing? This 24th film in the series was meant to be a sort of summation of what had come before, as well as a triumphant reclamation of iconography and characters that had been off-limits for 40 years. Instead, it's a lazy greatest hits take featuring a brand new version of a song with an arrangement that suggests that the singer didn't even like the original. It is a crushing disappointment and a reminder that the gloss and the respectability of the previous Daniel Craig films was a fluke. Not business as usual. James Bond will return! And after this, I have no idea why he'd bother. Okay, so he didn't like it.
3: Clearly <laughs> not, no.
0: It would almost have been better to be the other way around. If Q had said said to Bond, does this name mean anything to you? The name would be shown up on, on the uh, screen. You hadn't seen it, and then Bond had said no. And then the, the camera had panned around and had been reading Ernst, Stavro, Blofeld. And the whole audience would have gone...
2: <gasps>
0: and then when he finally meets Blofeld, he goes... It's you. You're that guy. You're. I know you. I, I know that it happened in Austin Powers 3, but since they're hoping that people have forgotten all the Austin Powers films, why not just hope that they forget the fact that Austin Powers and Dr. Evil are allegedly the sons of Michael Caine? Why doesn't he just be his actual brother? And for it to not be anywhere near as I want to destroy you as. It seemed to be. It almost, you know, would have been better for him for him to say, "Yes, it turns out we are brothers." I found this one out myself fairly recently. Um, Do you want to join Spectre? We got a good dental plan.
1: (laughs) Um,
0: But instead, he's like, "Now I shall attach you to my torture
1: device." Yeah, that never made any sense to me either. (laughs) Of questionable medical merits. Sharon, you you said something about this thing with drilling.
3: Yeah, I I mean, I was already a little bit knocked by this point because the the one. Uh, Wardrobe choice that Madeline gets that isn't white um, is this dress that they leave out for her, and it's got
0: these. Have you seen
2: those?
3: It's it's got like (laughs) loops that point to her boobs, and then lines that kind of outline between her legs, and then when she turns around, she's got an arrow pointing to her ass. I mean, just a little bit. (laughs) No. Okay, who drew that one then? The the torture device. I I could sort of get the um, the first. Um, point that he drilled is um, was the trigeminal nerve. Now, my dad has trigeminal neuralgia, so I know I've, I've seen what level of intense agony uh, attacking that nerve can cause, and I sympathised. But then when he went round to the other side and he said there's a, there's a point in the, in the, or there's a nerve that if we hit the right spot... Um, he will lose his ability to recognise faces and he turns to Madeline and says something along the lines of he won't even know who you are. Now, yes, there is a point in the brain that if it's damaged you lose the ability to recognise faces but it's not there. Um, it's it's somewhere in the middle of the brain and also that the, the important thing about it is you still have a concept of context. So he would have known exactly who Madeline was because he would know she was the girl who wore into the room with him, unless in some way this tiny little drill bit was going to take out that part of his brain and very select portions of his memory.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, it's more like <laughs> drilling into his neck at that point anyway. Exactly,
3: yeah. So, like, well, you might hit the jugular and yeah. cause some damage that way, but uh, yeah. Do you
0: have to get that machine, like, made yourself? Do you have to, like, draw out the blueprints and say, I want it to drill into this nerve and this nerve. It, All right. Yeah. It'll cost you ten thousand yeah.
3: pounds. It kind of looks like an automated dental table. Yeah.
0: yeah.
3: Which if he'd done well, if he'd gone straight purpose. for his teeth, I could kind of have understood that.
0: Also it doesn't help that Blofeld's like, lean in closer, what has he got to say to you? And Bond is like, Tempus Fugit. And she's like, What? Tempus Fugit. Is that Italian or something? It's Latin, it means time goes really fast. I'm still not following you. The watch. You want me to bring you your watch? No, doesn't time fly? Still not following you. Throw the watch I'm giving you. I'm not throwing this one, it is a Flick Flack, it is priceless. It's a bomb. Oh, I understand you handed me a live grenade. Okay, I'm going to throw it now. But see, all the silly bits in this, simply for me, serve to make all the simple bits in Casino Royale even better. Just um, the chief saying, you know, it it doesn't take much of anything. I've just got a carpet beater here. And, you know, the question is, will you yield in time? Bit of rope, you know, chair with no bottom. And then he wallops the living shit out of Bond's knackers. Just versus a $10,000 drill chair.
1: (laughs) Ten thousand pounds. Sorry, but then um, being I, the kind of technical wizard, <laughs> information broker that he is, that's yeah. that's yeah. his chosen weapon. Oh no, no, it's 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 fine in
0: context, yeah. but I, but like I, I said, the, the context of Casino Royale is far more. I want to say appealing.
1: You know, <laughs> in, in terms of torture, I do like the bollocks smacking. I, um, <laughs> I do kind of wish. I, I it's kind of been creeping in with the last three films in the. Yeah. The in a Mel Gibsonish sort of way. Yeah. <laughs> the the, you know they're there's like four, three or four writers on each film, yeah. and uh, with Casino Royale, they went back to the source material. And as we've discussed on the podcast before, every time they bring in a new actor, they go back to the source material. That's like the they put they hit the reset button, and they and they and they do that. Even with Brosnan, to a certain extent, they incorporated elements of different uh, novels into Goldeneye. Um, I just wish they the kind of. With Quantum Onwards, they've basically been basing each story off of the previous ones. They've been using the fiction that they've established, and they've been adapting it further, or putting another twist in, putting another twist yeah. in, putting in a. And I wish they would just, if they're going to make a standalone fun Bond romp, which is what this one really set out to do, um, yeah. I wish they'd gone back to some maybe some original material, or just remade one of those earlier films. You know, hell, a basically Spectre is Thunderball? that is the Thunderbolt story it's been remade yeah. twice, why not remake it again you know, there's no harm <laughs> in doing that and just change it from nuclear weapons to being information and privacy Mark Berriman says on Twitter here uh, that it's a Bond movie
0: in reverse the scope gets smaller and tighter
1: yeah, I did read that and awesome. I, I, I actually concur with that yeah, yeah. Um,
0: another person said to me, and I can't find it. I've been looking for it. Um, the turtle is hungry thing uh, just turned up in their head while they were watching it, and it's possible that Craig is finally there. Yeah. He did look a little bit turtleish. It's possibly just because of the extreme youth of Leia Yeah. That and yeah, she's so young and fresh, and he is starting. He's looking gnarly. Look little...
1: no, this this
0: no, gnarly, yeah, yeah. A
3: bit, a bit haggard. <laughs> uh, he,
0: you know what? He looked great with Monica Bellucci, yep. and she yeah. is a handsome woman. Yep. Let me say that. <laughs> The bit at the beginning, it went uh, after he takes off the mask, and then like it goes to, to shoot that guy on the rooftop, and then the building collapses. It looked like he was about to get into an uncharted sequence, yeah. and he was like, uh, "No, I'm just gonna sit on the sofa." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, it was still a brilliant sequence, but just the sofa bit kind of kind of got to me. And also the bit when when they're led to their rooms in Blofeld's secret base, when Bond looks out at all those giant power units and the fuel tankers, he was just thinking in his head. I could blow this whole ruddy place <laughs> up. I shall, and he did. Yep. so. Uh, it's, it was kind of like you know, foreshadowing. Here you go, guys. You want to see this in flames? Wait five minutes. Yeah. What followed here for quite a big chunk of this episode was rampant speculation about what the fifth film will be like. Now the fifth film's out, all of that's redundant. If you really, really want to go back and listen to us speculating and being wrong, wrong, wrong about everything, then the original version of this podcast is on the School of Movies archive feed. The closest I actually got was Keep Madeline Alive, and have us worried about who's going to die. This, by the way, is why all of our rampant speculation ends up in the Cutting Class episodes for Patreon only, because it dates so quickly. One time I did a What's Next for Star Wars show that dated like the day after when I was like, nah, it's not going to be J.J. Abrams, it's J.J. Abrams. Let this be a lesson to all you podcasters out there. Keep your content evergreen by making your speculation brief to the point and specific. You may be right or wrong, but if you can listen back in 10 years time and go, that was a good idea, then you did it the right way. To round it off, any good things we might have forgotten about Spectre or anything we didn't make a big enough deal of
1: score was good again?
0: Yep. So what was it? Tom I, Newman. Thomas Newman's yeah. score has again uh, grown on me, especially for uh, having to do the music mix for last uh, time when we did Skyfall. It, like The little subtleties of it really stood out, and that kind of epic feel. Um, and and I, see, I did like the scene when uh, he was uh, up against uh, Blofeld with the glass between them. There is something very symbolic about being separated by bulletproof glass and not being able to... Like You can only have a war of... The energy of both actors on either side at that stage, yeah,
3: which had it, um, it already worked very well with Javier Bardem in um, in Skyfall. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, think, um,
0: I did. Okay, can I was
1: to was- say I think that's the director's trait. He's very good at doing those kinds of scenes, one on one. I did feel a Judi Dench shaped hole though. Mm-hmm. I, I, I missed her. I,
0: you know, she's. Flipping fantastic, and that's not to uh, besmirch the, uh, the the good name of uh, Ray Fiennes as, as as M. He's, you know, I entirely accept him as as the new M. But I also miss um, Judy Dench. Mark Kermode pointed out that uh, Revolts was considerably more dangerous looking when he had no socks on because the sockless man, <laughs> yeah. is terrifying. Yeah. He will do anything, you know. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, oh, I really. Liked the scene where um, he was, re- where uh, Blofeld was replaying the security footage from the cabin.
2: Mm. Yes,
3: and um, he made Madeline yeah. turn away. And I, it, it was what I really liked about it, which struck me as kind of strange after the fact, was the the tension and the suspense because I didn't know how they were going to end that scene, whether she would actually mm. continue and watch. Uh, which, on one hand, is incredibly traumatic, but on the other hand, makes sure she knows absolutely that James didn't kill her father, um, or turn away, spare her that. But there's potentially always going to be that doubt.
0: The train fight—that was the first time that I actually thought that Daniel Craig's Bond was physically outmatched.
1: Yeah, he's exhausted,
0: uh, isn't he, by the end of it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and they are—they're beating the living crap out of each other, and and uh, Batista's built like the kind of guy that it's—it's it's terrifying because. You think, well, everybody's got a neck and a groin. He's got to have weak spots. But then the amount the that Bond... Like, not
3: to have. Thrashes no. with
0: it. It's just like, no, he's just he's got a neck and a groin made of concrete. And he's just going to keep <laughs> coming. That was scary. Mm. And,
1: uh, uh, yeah, that was uh, an excellent moment. And um... I think all the things with Q are very good. They're yes, All Ben was
3: fantastic.
1: Yeah, as a bit of levity things. There's, there was a lot more humour in this Bond which was starting to creep towards uh, Roger Moore levels of uh, nods and winks. But
0: Someone on Twitter said that their favourite Bond film was Captain America The Winter Soldier and that that actually might be a good direction for the series. For the next Bond film, make it a really taut...
1: I love, es- thriller. I love espionage thrillers, yeah, and yeah. that is—I th- love that film. I've watched it so many times. I mean, I'm not, as you know, I'm not the a huge Marvel fan. I don't really know the lore. I love that is film. You? It is so good. Yeah. And even my father, who watched it, who hasn't seen any of the other Marvel films, he thoroughly enjoyed it. That is a classic '70s conspiracy movie, uh, you know, espionage and conspiracy movie. And I think that's exactly what Bond movies should be as well.
0: It's notable, by the way, that uh, since recording this episode. We watched Bob Chipman's review of Spectre in which he quite rightly points out that this movie follows, in many ways, the exact plot of The Winter Soldier. Just in terms of agent on the ground versus cold, hard, data-led surveillance which is prone to corruption. As by the way are agents. So basically neither system is flawless. For me, though, the thing that it most reminded me of was uh, the Ministry of Magic in in uh, the Harry Potter films and how uh, Voldemort's Death Eaters sort of seep in in the background and, uh, with people like C and Umbridge in place, they're able to thrive and proliferate in the very institutions which are supposed to be there to protect us from them. Again, like Captain America, the Winter Soldier. So... I guess there's maybe only four plot lines in the entire world. Well, you know us, we can't think of a single thing wrong with it. Um, uh, But yeah, I think ultimately, using it as a model, as a kind of look, we can do a a thriller, we can make it taut. we don't have to make it super melodramatic. But we can also, you know, make it fun and and pacey and just like get all of those things into the mix. And with a new Bond, it will also feel fresh. Well, I think ultimately what what Q said back in the uh, museum, the the art gallery is absolutely right. You know, despite the fact that incredible things can be done with computers these days, there is a certain value in the man being around who can pull a trigger. Drones are boring and Bond is... (laughs) Bond is uh, potentially very interesting to uh, to be carrying forward with. So it's,
3: it kind of builds on what um, M said back in Casino Royale about him being a blunt instrument. Yes, he is yeah. a blunt instrument, but you know what? All their other alternatives are even blunter.
1: Yeah, yeah. But he is be an assassin, which at least in this film he was seen at trying to be an assassin, mm-hmm. which again is something which they've sometimes shied away from. You know, ultimately that's his role. He is there to. He's not a secret agent. He's a. He's an assassin. He's a. Hired guy. I mean, secret agents are undercover, and Bond is never undercover because he introduces himself at the first moment. (laughs) Yeah, so he's not a. I mean, you know, secret agents actually are essentially um, uh, uh, people on the other side that you've turned to your cause and that you you get information out of. And he's not. Moles. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Double agents. Indeed. He's an operative. Um, and as such, he's the guy who gets the phone call. You know, like uh, in the Bourne films, they get the phone call, turn up at went, uh, to Waterloo Station and try and shoot someone. That's his. That's his job.
3: Mm. And mm. if everybody knows who he is, that kind of undermines yeah, his ability to yeah. do that job.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, I did, uh, on, just to close out, I did watch a uh, fun video of the uh, seven, like, 007 reasons why the video game version of Bond is the worst Bond. And I think the crowning glory was in 007 Legends, the more recent 360 game, where it was like, uh, what if Moonraker had had Daniel Craig in it? Yeah. Um, he can't say his name right. The video game version of Bond doesn't know how to introduce himself like the most famous way a person can ever say their name that everybody throughout the world knows. There are kids in Ghana who know how James Bond introduces himself. He he turns up and he goes, Sir, what is your name? James. (laughs) All right, okay, and then later in the game, I must know, who are you? Bond from MI6. Yeah. Wow. How do you get that wrong? And twice. Unless your remit is, let's not It's supposed to be that. universal
1: exports anyway. And that's another. Yeah. You, you don't go around, because according to the government, MI6 doesn't exist anyway, so you wouldn't go around telling everyone <laughs> that you work for MI6 because they, exactly. they don't exist. Bond. James Bond.
0: Oh, you're that international super spy, the man of mystery, the very well-known secret agent. Yeah. I did more recently perform a deep edit on Spectre to see if I could make Bond feel less invincible less entirely on top of things to make Madeline more capable to pick up the pace so that there's less long gaps especially during that Spectre meeting that's just sort of sitting around whispering to each other less smugness from Oberhauser less smugness from C less smugness all round I called this edit Never Say Spectre Again and it's one of those examples of helping a movie to get out of its own way and stop it from undermining it the power of its own drama. Humor is obviously very subjective. There were a couple of gags in here that I was like, you know, it's a way better scene if you just trim that bit out. So it ended up feeling a lot less like the kind of Bond movie that, say, Gary would really, really enjoy. The return to form. It was actually much more in line with the rest of the Daniel Craig Bonds. And that was comfortable for me. And it ended up feeling... Remarkably prescient when I finally saw No Time to Die. More about how that ties together on the next show. Thank you very much, Gary. Would you like to pimp Game Burst?
1: Yep, uh, you can find us at gameburst.co.uk. We are a twice weekly podcast where we mainly talk about video games and also a bit of tabletop board gaming once a month. Uh, so we do news on Sundays and we have feature shows every Thursday. And uh, 30 minutes, all your money back. Thank you very much. Okay, so I have been Alex
0: Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's, school's out. out.
2: I'm gonna make it through the day And there's no more use in running This is something I got I wanna feel love, run through my blood, tell me